Hey, podcast fans, I've got to talk to you about drinking water. As an archaeologist, I've been on surveys where we had to drink three to five liters of water every day. That's 1.3 gallons just to basically not die. Sometimes that water just doesn't hydrate you as quickly as you're using it. That's why we've partnered with Liquid IV. The small packets make it easy to take one with you to work, to work out or on any adventure. I like the strawberry lemonade and lemon lime ones the best. Just put one stick of liquid IV into 16 ounces of water and get hydrated two times faster than with just water alone. And now with our partnership, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code ARCPODNETFEED at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today using promo code ARCPODNETFEED at liquidiv.com. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You have my sword. And you have my bow. And my trowel. Hello and welcome to episode one of And My Trowel, where we look at the fantastic side of archaeology and the archaeological side of fantasy. My name is Tilly. And I'm Ash. And today in this very first episode, so exciting, we thought it would be good to give a little introduction to ourselves and what prompted us to start this podcast series in the first place. So, Ash, who are you? What do you do? Um, are you um, an archaeologist? I, I, I am, yes. Um, <laughs> That's convenient. Yeah. My name is Ash. I'm an archaeologist. No. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah. Are you an archaeologist, Lily? I'm also an archaeologist. What are what the a chances? Coincidence. Oh, so great. Oh, we knew so, it. so uh, yeah, maybe it would be good, I guess, to say why we got into archaeology, what we do in archaeology. So do you want to go first, give us your little background spiel? Oh my goodness, my spiel. Yeah, I'm an archaeologist. I got into archaeology when I was really young. I always wanted to be an archaeologist. Then I went to Glasgow University to become an archaeologist. I studied there for four, five years. So I did four years for my undergrad and then one year for my master's. Um, My specialism is artifacts like yours. Oh, sorry, spoiler. Spoiler! Um, (laughs) I'm now actually working outside of archaeology a little bit. So I make candles for a living and I do lots of different archaeological candles (laughs) and I sell them to gift shops and also museums, exhibitions, all that. So that's me. Oh, excellent. Lovely little spiel. Well, indeed, I'm also an archaeologist, also studied archaeology at undergrad level up in Aberdeen. And then, so that was four years. And then I did a one-year master's, which was actually ended up being more like a two-year master's, but we don't need to go into that, uh, at Leiden University in the Netherlands, where I indeed specialized in material culture analysis, so artifact studies as well. And I've actually very recently finished my PhD in archaeology. Haven't actually got it yet. Maybe by the time this is released, I will have got it, in which case we'll look pretty silly. But um, yes, it's uh, uh, the, the defense is in October. So whenever this goes out, before or after, maybe I am Dr. Siebrecht or maybe I'm not. Or even if I have had my defense, maybe I'm still not Dr. Siebrecht. We'll see how it goes. So yeah, so just finished that. So I'm actually going to start working a brand new job in uh, September, which I'm very excited about. So I'm going to start working for a excavation company here in Germany where I live and be doing their public outreach side of things. So like online content creation and all that kind of thing, which is very exciting. You're so busy, so, uh, Tilly. You've got I know, so many I, things going on. I know, I know. Well, at least at the start, September, I'll only be doing that. And then in January, I'll also be starting a second job. 
which um, yeah, and so maybe jobs. another one. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But yes, but so Indy, we're both like artifact people. So mm-hmm. how why why artifacts for you? What was it about artifacts? I just love material culture. I just love handling artifacts, finding them. I worked as a commercial archaeologist for nearly four years, so finding artifacts and especially when it's like a piece of pottery and it has a fingerprint on it. Oh God, I just love, very cool. I, I love the idea of like holding something that someone hasn't held in 6,000 years. Well, oh, that's just yeah. my favorite bit. Yeah. yeah. It's that feeling, right? Of, yeah. Especially when it's something yeah. like a fingerprint or something like, cause Tangible. I did use wear and yes. then you look at like how they were used. And my favorite traces ever were on bone. Um, you can see actual, they're called handling traces and it means you can actually see literally where someone was holding an object. Like I was looking at needles and you could see where people were holding the needle, which is just oh, so cool. Like, that. yeah, it's so cool. It's so cool. And what's your, what's your thing that got you into material culture? I don't know actually why I necessarily got involved in it in the beginning. Cause actually my original archeological, like, interest was in human evolution and like early paleolithic early modern uh, early mm-hmm. modern humans and all that kind of thing and then yeah somehow i don't know what it was actually that made me interested in objects i think there was one particular assignment we had to do in my undergrad where we had to pick an object and do like a full analysis i've used inverted oh, yeah. quotes yet but like because <laughs> we couldn't do any analysis because we were just undergrads but yeah you had to do sort of a little research on it and propose i think it was a proposal for like a research project based on yeah. this object and it was just such a cool concept like i think i did like a viking bracelet or something and then i was so nice. excited about it and i was really disappointed that i didn't actually get to do the research project and i just sort of thought this is kind of cool this is really uh nice thing yeah it is it is cool that sounds very cool we had a similar one but it was typology and Mm. i remember everyone absolutely hated it but i really loved it (laughs) i used to like sticking all the pictures of these brooches different types of penannual brooches like side by side (laughs) and i was like oh this is great yeah really it really fulfilled something in me (laughs) setting everything out and organizing it so yeah i think I, i had the same sort of experience are you a hoarder like in everyday life oh my god yeah I think that might have a thing as well because I definitely am. <laughs> yeah, I have so many like objects, replicas of stuff, but also like what well, my candles. I've got a whole thing of candles now. I just can't stop. If if I go to like a museum and it's like a really like cheap gift shop, mm. I will get the tackiest thing. <laughs> I just love it. Do you <laughs> have do you have anything things. that you like collect? Yeah, is there like a particular thing that you collect? So you mentioned candles. Do you like collect candles, or you just make them yourself? Is there something else I that you have to, to collect? collect them? But then uh-huh. I got sick of doing that oh. because I couldn't get the right candle that I wanted. Mm. So I had to make my own candles, which I think you do that too. You make your own stuff. That's always um, my issue. Yeah, I'm like yeah. I can't find the perfect thing. <laughs> Fine, I'll just make it myself. <laughs> but I also go through stages of collecting stuff. Like I have a hyperfixation on something, and I'll collect like stamps. Mm. I have a couple of stamps <laughs> books that I really oh, like. Yeah. I like I've got Robin Hood stamps, lots of different stamps, and then I've got what else have I got? I've got books. I mean, I always. Oh, I mean that's yeah. We'll get yeah. to that. <laughs> 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 that's not collecting. That's just you know education. Survival. I'm building education, a library. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually investing in my future. Yes, that's exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. exactly. And you mentioned stamps. I'm just curious. Are you the sort of person who, for example, would could I send you stamps that have come to me that would look interesting, or are you the sort of collector that's like, no, I have to have received the stamps and 
Oh, no, I'll stamped. take any stamp. Yeah? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, if you have stamps and you want to send, send them to me, I will take them. I mean, I do have stamps, actually, that I've been keeping because I'm like, these are quite cool stamps, but I don't really know what to do with them. So I now I do. I keep them in like little books and or like on my desk. I have like my my Robin Hood ones, my favorite ones. So I have them yeah, on my cool. desk in a little like a collector's edition thing. What do I have God, here? I sound really sad. I have Harry Potter ones <laughs> here. I do. Oh, no, I'm not a big Harry Potter fan, unfortunately. Keep those. No, no. Oh, okay. that's contrary controversial actually people are going to be mad at me now oh well we've we've started it we're getting cancelled on the first episode <laughs> <laughs> you hate harry potter what <laughs> okay moving swiftly on so, <laughs> so it's not harry potter I, I don't like harry potter you like harry potter so what do yeah. you like in terms of so obviously as we mentioned in the intro we're looking at the fantastic side of archaeology because we're archaeologists mm-hmm. we're interested mm-hmm. in archaeology but also the archaeological side of fantasy mm-hmm. so what is it about fantasy that you enjoy Ash? i mean it's just out of sight of the realms of reality isn't it it's um it's escapism pure escapism mm. you can imagine absolutely anything and you can get really stuck into a law as well that somebody else has created in a world and and you can get really, really into it. Um, no, almost you know, like archaeology, right? Like yeah. you're having to almost research the world, like get an idea of the context and... Like, yes, yeah. exactly. Because when you're, when you're excavating something, you are somewhat world building. You're interpreting that and that site and what was happening. So it's the same thing when you pick up a book or you watch anything in the media that's fantasy related, you're kind of building that narrative around you. And that's why I think archaeologists love stories and storytelling, because it does go hand in hand. Yeah. No, no, that's a great. I really like that idea that archaeology is world building. I'd never thought of it like that before, but it is. Like, yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> we it should totally teach that is. at uni. Yeah. Like, Maybe we should teach it. Tilly. Welcome to RPG, <laughs> aka archaeology. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, people uh, do like the archaeology of Skyrim and stuff. Like, yeah, oh, it, it, oh, it has archaeology. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. and yeah, we'll get into that. We'll get into that uh, yeah, yeah. later. Oh, what about you? To- what about you? I don't know. I think indeed it was that idea of that it's, it's far enough removed from reality that even if there's things in it that would make me uncomfortable or make me things and I would sort of think, but it's fine because it's a fantasy book. It's basically a way for me yeah. to bury my head in the sand <laughs> and kind of yes. ignore all the issues <laughs> that are happening, which I know is a terrible thing to say. And actually, as I've got older, that was the original sort of thing. And as I've got older, I think it's the opposite. It's more, mm. it's a a way to look at the world in a different way that yeah. Yeah, makes you realize the problems, but also constructs kind of almost alternate reality, like alternate options, you know, of, of what could be better or what could mm-hmm. be worse or, or all this kind of thing. So I think that that's kind of fun. So yeah, it was always that idea. I do still like non-fantasy books as well, but I must say, I think the majority of my reading consists of either like cozy murder mysteries <laughs> um, <laughs> or like travel writing Mm-hmm. or fantasy and the bulk is fantasy i can totally see that for you though i can see like what your interests are and then how they align to what you read because you do write also a lot about travel and things yeah like that too. True. True. and you're right i think fantasy can tell you a lot about our own society like mm-hmm. there's so many books that kind of pose questions through fantasy scenarios that can teach you a lot about the world and make you question certain structures, I think, in, mm-hmm. in, in, our, in our world. 
Which they should do as well. Yeah, right? like they that's should. what they a good fantasy should do, it might be. Yeah, they should teach you something at the end of the day. That's what books are. They're meant to tell you something, aren't they? Yeah. I it's sort of funny. So like in terms of the the fantasy stuff that I like, I really do mm-hmm. indeed like those fantasy books where actually if you took out the fantasy elements, it would still be a really good story. Like yeah. it would still work as a story. But at the same time, I also really enjoy those like big epic fantasy ones, which are very much based in the fan, like Lord of the Rings. I mean, the Wizard of Morgoth. <laughs> like it's, it's all these things, right? Like sometimes I have to admit nowadays, if I would, and I think that was just a f- when I was younger, because I read the Lord of the Rings when I was very young. I think mm-hmm. I was like seven or something. I don't know. Looking back, I don't know how I managed to read the Lord of the Rings when I was that little. <laughs> But I loved it. And I, like, I don't know. I just got, re- and it was funny. So funny story. So it was because we were on a cycling holiday and I'd taken the first one with me because I think I'd got it for my birthday or something. And mm-hmm. I read it, absolutely loved it. So we had to go and find a shop, a bookshop to get the second one. So we uh-huh. went and we found a second one. And then I read that. And this was in the like two weeks. Like the, I, I read the first two Lord wow. of the Rings books when I was seven, which <laughs> Jesus. Um, but, um, and then I read that one and I wanted to get the third one, but it was a, we were holidaying in Ireland and it was like some massive bank holiday, like religious holiday where then every single shop is shut for like a week because it was just a really long holiday. Wow. So no bookshops were open. So I had the last week of the holiday. I didn't have the return of the kit. Like I couldn't read the third one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and anyone who's read them knows that they kind of cliffhangery. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have to read the next one. Yeah. yeah. And the films weren't out at this point. So I literally didn't know what happened. <laughs> and I was, you know, only little. And so then we got back home. And I think at that point I'd started reading another book, like Famous Five or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A bit more my age bracket. And then... <laughs> Mum got home from work one day and was like, look what I got. And she just, you know, threw the return of the king into my lap. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I was so excited. Although then she forced me to finish reading the famous five one before I was allowed to start reading the next one, which it's interesting though, that you didn't start with the Hobbit, which is right. I read the Hobbit later. And then of course I was really like, huh, because it's so indeed, like, I think if you start with Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit seems very simple <laughs> like yeah no it, it does you know? I, see i started at the hobbit so i was like i sort of progressed into the lord yeah makes more sense yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so no. it didn't seem simple to me no. at the time but then you read it again and i think when yeah. the films came out which we shall not talk about um <laughs> when the films I was came out then i think i read it again and i was like oh yeah this is um, yeah it is a kid's story and that's fine yeah. it's good it's it tells you a lot and for a kid's story it's yeah, quite yeah amazing yeah. i don't understand riddles so yeah <laughs> still don't understand riddles <laughs> but so yeah so i think that's probably how i so i i was reading like fantasy stuff when i was little but then i sort of got mm-hmm. into that one and what's your what was your sort of first delving into into fantasy yeah i was thinking about this and obviously yeah hobbit but i actually think it was when i was more of a teenager that i really got into it Hmm. and i started reading pc cast and some of her Kristen cast kind of stuff (laughs) and it was the goddess well goddess summoning novels and the parthenon novels as well Mm -hmm. which were all about like going into a kind of portal like alternate well, universe type Yeah, things? alternate universe sort of oh, stuff nice. where a, a modern woman would get transported back into either Troy or like a Beauty and the Beast scenario or something like that and probably like Beauty yeah. and the Beast as well. So yeah, I think that was it for me. And then I started obviously reading more sort of fantasy, but I am also a big fantasy romance person. So mm. it, it fits. 
So what's what's your current fantasy kind of genre pick? You're still more for the sort of romantic fantasy, I believe? Yeah, I will do both. So I'll do high fantasy, but I get kind of burnt out with all the world. Building. Yeah, as much as I love world building. Oh, yeah. Have, yeah, the first yeah. like 100 pages, I'm like, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> so I do tend to go for like fantasy romance. That's just me. I just really love romance. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's my kind of genre. Yeah, fair enough. And what's your favourite fantasy book at the moment then? Oh gosh, or series at the moment? Yeah. Oh, you can't ask me that. There's too many. <laughs> <laughs> There's way too many. I'm actually trying to think. I'm looking at my bookshelf as we speak. Like, I don't know. I think I... I I mean, I've got Legends and Lattes, and I still need to read that. So That's I'm hoping that's going to be my next one. one. I love yeah. that one. Yeah. It was, yeah, that like got me into I didn't realize that cozy fantasy was a genre. <laughs> and now I'm like, yeah. yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> oh, well, that that's jogged my memory. So, yeah, I do like kind of cozy fantasy, but I also like the kind of more in-depth fantasy Dark. too. Anything by like Naomi Novak, I really enjoy. I think she's great just such a good writer i really like deborah harkness as well was um, that a discovery of witches yeah yes yeah which is more like a modern fantasy because you've yeah, got which Vampire i still haven't Indian read it's on my list and i have it so good. i love it <laughs> everyone keeps going on it. about it i need to read yeah it. and there's all like the big names as well you know neil gaiman and Terry oh yeah and all that kind of stuff as well so and you yeah. love Terry Pratchett. I love Terry Pratchett. I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things. He's just familiar. And I started reading him when I was a teenager in high school and then worked my way through all of the novels. And then now it's just, yeah, it's one of those familiar things, right? Like if I'm having a bad day and I just need to feel good, then I'll read a Terry Pratchett. Yeah. And I also will not apologize for the fact that throughout this whole podcast series, I'm definitely going to be making many, many references to Discworld and Terry Pratchett. <laughs> Anyone listening and Ash are all just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> well, I think we're going to balance each other quite well. I mean, I'll yeah. just be like Lord of the Rings and you'll be you know, Terry Pratchett. Yeah. And that'll be it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm good with Lord of the Rings yeah. too, so all, all yeah, to me. Tilly, I'm so sorry, but I think we need to take a break. Oh. Um, one of my enchanted bookshelves has just launched an attack on the other half. Oh. I need to go sort that out. Oh, yeah, that's, that's something you need to deal with. Okay, well, once you're back, we'll be chatting a little bit more about the inspiration and format of the podcast series. So see you soon. Bye. And we're back. Are the bookshelves sorted? Yes, God. One took a chunk out of the other, though. It wasn't great. Oh. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, hopefully, hopefully he heals. Okay. Now that we've talked a bit about who we are, what we're interested in, it might be good to spend the second half of this podcast talking about our inspiration for starting it, which actually, for me at least, it goes way, way, way back. So at some point, as I said, I'm a fan of Terry Pratchett. And um, I had joined this group on Facebook called the Terry Pratchett Book Club, which for any people out there who are interested in Terry Pratchett and want to join a book club, would recommend. They're a very friendly bunch. And at some point, someone had done a post basically asking, oh, what's your represented career in Discworld? Like, you know, who who is your Discworld alternate, basically, you know? So a lot of people were like, oh, well, I'm a librarian, so obviously it would be the librarian. And other people were like, I'm a scientist, so I guess wizard or alchemist, you know? And like everyone was talking about it. And I was like, I'm an archaeologist. Who would be an archaeologist in the Discworld? And then I did think, actually, so yes, by the way, a little bit of a spoiler for any uh, of the books that feature Adorabelle Deerheart, because in one of the books, she's sort of digging a lot and she works for the Golem Trust. She's this amazing character. I think she's one of my favorites. And 
yeah, so she does a lot of digging and she's looking for golems and she's always out hunting for artifacts and all this kind of stuff. So I guess that would be the closest thing to an archaeologist in the disc world. But then it also got me thinking, what are other archaeologists in fantasy? Oh, well, there's not many, actually. Or they're kind of like the crazed ones, the ones that are going to find this eye of something and kill everyone, the evil scientists. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Something, you know. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But... Because, I don't know, because, I mean, I remember you had at some point done something about, like, fictional archaeologists in general. So not just fantasy, but, like, fictional. Yeah. But yeah. what was what was coming up with that? Evelyn O'Connell. Oh. Yeah. She she came up a lot. Um, not an archaeologist. an archaeologist. No. <laughs> she's fantasy. a librarian. A librarian. <laughs> Take that, Benbridge scholars. <laughs> exactly. She's, she's a librarian. Well. I mean, she's maybe... Early enough, well, her father was an Egyptologist and her brother's an mm. Egyptologist, a very mm. bad one. Yes. But maybe she has archaeological kind of theory implemented in a lot of her works and she's better than Jonathan. Yeah. Um, so maybe she is an archaeologist, not necessarily by education, but by trade. By eventually. experience. Yeah. 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 But yeah, a lot of people said Evelyn O'Call- o- O'Connell. Goodness O'Connell. Me. O'Connell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's going to call it O'Cormac. Yeah, so yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one because I think in fantasy, unless you're the evil villain, archaeologists aren't really represented as well. Mm. But usually either kind of kicking ass and like on a motorbike. Yeah. Indiana Jones style. Yeah, Indiana like, Jones yeah. style, who is kind of a fantasy kind of character. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of fantasy scenarios. I don't know about you, but when I've ever been in a film, uh, the field, I've never encountered a crusader knight. Um, no? The Holy Grail. So oh, that's quite... I think you're going on the wrong digs, Ash. Hey. Oh, man. <laughs> I knew Scotland wasn't the place. No. <laughs> I love Scotland. But, um, yeah, so he's fantasy. Yeah, true, yeah. true. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess in films, there's a couple. And technically, I yeah. suppose, with the Lara Croft ones as well. Like, yeah, definitely. They're but also she, fantastical. Again, isn't, isn't actually enough. She uses Neolithic pottery sherds as bullets. Like she's not. Right. That, she's I don't not, think an archaeologist would do that. No. We'd, we'd cry, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't think we're going to do that. And we don't really need guns on site, usually, no. um, unless there's just like one guy that brings like pickled heron or something into the site cabin. You're like, oh. But that, that's <laughs> <laughs> But so, seeing as we are archaeologists and we're interested in fantasy, if you could go into any fantasy universe as an archaeologist, where would you go? Oh my goodness, you've just opened up my world. (laughs) Wouldn't that be cool? That would be so cool. One of my lecturers at Aberdeen University, Charlotte Hilladell, she used to do an annual Archaeology of Middle Earth lecture where she'd like she'd give you a proper archaeological theory lecture and everything as like serious dead serious but set in middle earth so it was like funny as well but she did all proper archaeological it was so cool oh my god that's so cool can we have her on the podcast maybe maybe i should totally ask her that would be so cool maybe that's she so would. cool i love that i love like what we talked about before like the archaeology of skyrim and stuff people yeah. actually diving into kind of fantasy and game gaming as well yeah to really understand the world, I think that's fantastic. If I had to choose one, oh, I think I'd choose the Witcher, just Ooh. because there's so many different types yes. of fantasy creatures inspired by lots of different folklore, and I think that would be fantastic. And to like follow a Witcher around, and also as in like an archaeologist, but also a bit of an anthropologist, I would I would love that. 
that would be yeah. yeah oh can you imagine yeah doing your can you imagine though doing your phd on like which uh you know hunting methods or something and yeah. then you have to follow this guy around it's like oh for goodness sake like <laughs> you basically be great. like jaskia but uh, what's his name just Jas- yeah 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 jaskia, but or like the line in the game. trying to make yeah. notes and like <laughs> be scientific <laughs> about things be like no don't go yet i have to measure the griffin's just like flying over your head trying to kill you and you're like i'm trying to write these notes down Stop it. I need my contact sheets. Ah! <laughs> you're in, you're blocking the sunlight. How can I get a good picture of these soil samples of the stratigraphy? <laughs> blocking the sunlight I mean, would, with your massive wings. I think that would be quite good though, because a lot True. of the time on site, I always struggled with the sun. So like, that is the opposite. Then, then you'd be going, yes, Gerald, hold it there. <laughs> hold it right there, Gerald. I know you have to kill this griffin. Just stop, just, please, just please. Hold it there. It's a great, great lighting. <laughs> <laughs> that would which, be amazing <laughs> which is basically what this podcast is going to be right yeah like, that's us yeah that's, that's kind of how we decided to do it because yeah uh, so so for those of you listening by the way ash and i are admin of a really amazing lovely online community called the Archeo book club if you haven't joined already please do come join us we're a very open group we basically read a different book every month and our original aim was to kind of look at how archaeology is depicted in fiction. Um, it's now expanded to include other things as well. So we do writing, we look at nonfiction, we look at all sorts of things. Lectures. Yes. Up. Yeah. We have guest talks from different like people in archaeology, in writing. Anyway, so do do come check us out. Uh, we'll put the link to our little link tree page uh, in the show notes. But one of the things that we sort of were chatting about one day was like, wouldn't it be really fun to look at like archaeology, but through the world of fantasy? Like what if you as an archaeologist were just thrown into the world of fantasy? Which... I thought at least was a very cool thing. And luckily, Ash thought it was cool as well. <laughs> you got me. Fantasy and archaeology, it's my two things. Yeah. Combined it together. But, but like you say, there's so many, and like we were talking about earlier, there's so many things that you can look at the real world at through, archae- uh, through fantasy. Sorry. So yeah. surely archaeology is one of them as well. Absolutely. I completely agree. I think... <laughs> I think we have a lot to learn through fantasy and through archaeology and combining them together also gets people interested in a world that they kind of they know better than our own sometimes mm-hmm. um and as a subject that they might not know much about or they might know a lot about and so are kind of geeky like us and like to apply those theories yeah. <laughs> to fantasy scenarios <laughs> yeah exactly so you know educational and fun <laughs> which exactly <laughs> what what more could you want <laughs> so nothing more <laughs> so then let's give a little teaser of how this kind of podcast is going to go so imagine you're an archaeologist ash which i am oh, uh, you are that's true very convenient <laughs> but now let's imagine you've been transferred to a fantasy world Ooh. Okay, is this fantasy world like from a book or is it just a generic kind of fantasy wizarding world? Mm, okay, well, let's say it can be either. So okay. I think that some episodes might focus on a particular book, some might focus on a general fantasy concept. But let's give a bit of an example. So I mentioned earlier, I'm a big fan of Cherry Pratchett. So of course, I was going to wrangle away to get Terry Pratchett's just quilled into this very first episode. Um, Ash is now regretting letting me write the script for this one. <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. So just to say, in the next couple of minutes, there will maybe be some spoilers for the book Making Money, written by Terry Pratchett. You have been warned. We will, by the way, try to include spoiler alerts on all of our episodes at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And if more books come up as we go through, we'll make sure to spoiler it before we talk about it. But yes, so Making Money by Terry Pratchett. Um, have you read it, Ash? I have. You I have? have oh, excellent. Yeah. Awesome. So <laughs> that makes this easier then. 
So for those of you listening who haven't read it, basically in Making Money, it's the second book in the Moist von Lipwig <laughs> series, which these names, it's so funny that there's so many Great. names in fantasy in general that, that sound ridiculous when you say them out loud to other people, but you're so used to them because you've been reading them for years and years and years that it doesn't really notice anymore. But anyway, it's the second book in the Moist von Lipwig series where he is put in charge of the Bank of Ank Morbrook. As part of it, there's this whole discussion because he's basically trying to introduce the concept of banknotes instead of gold, because up until that point, it's been like gold coinage. And he's trying to persuade people that like, no, this little bit of paper is worth the same as these gold coins that you have, you know? So it's like a bit complicated for him, but he gets there. And one of the other things is that he is at this point... I can't remember what his relationship status is in this book, actually, with Adorabelle Dierhar, but they're together it's, in some yeah, way. it's kind of... The, I don't think... It's complicated. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, she, as we have mentioned before, is kind of the closest thing I could think of to an archaeologist, and she's obsessed with golems. She uh, wants to help them a lot. She wants to find golems that have been buried. Uh, she wants to give them their rights. She wants to emancipate them. So she has found a load of golems out in the desert, um, but they haven't been able to reach them because they're buried so deep. And one of the reasons they think they're buried so deep is because they're made of gold. So she's basically getting them to march underground all the way to Ankh-Morpork because it takes as much effort as digging them up and walking back to ground, if that makes sense. And then Moise gets all pissed off because he's like, what? I'm just trying to persuade people that gold isn't important. And then you're bringing like an army of golden golems into the city. Like what are people going to think about that? And actually it turns out so again, spoiler alert, they're not golden. There's just a lot of them. And so they are made of clay, but they are still seen as very valuable. He decides to base the new currency on them because it's shown that like these are inherently valuable in themselves. So the currency can easily be based on these very useful and valuable items. I've used the word valuable a lot in this paragraph <laughs> because I think the concept of value is something especially related to archaeology and objects, which is very important. And a lot of people don't really think about. So what's your, if you try to think of yourself, not in this case, <laughs> as an archaeologist, but think of yourself as, you know, uh, someone just visiting the golems as they're kind of digging around, how would you see them as valuable? What would be your initial impression? Oh, if there was a less of them, perhaps, if mm -hmm. they were, there wasn't many golems around, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, then I would think they were inherently valuable because of the fact that they're scarce. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm that makes sense. That makes be, sense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not to be an archaeologist. I know. Yeah. Really I can't. So now, <laughs> as an archaeologist, <laughs> you're seeing them. What is your impression now? Yeah. My impression would be about what's the, the value placed upon them. Mm -hmm. So by the society itself. So what does value mean to people in mm -hmm. that in that world? And are they inherently valuable or are they just seen as valuable? Is there an emotional tie to them? Lots of stuff like that. That's mm -hmm. what I would think. Mm. Which makes sense, I think. And indeed, I mm. like that you talked about that idea of what it means to the people of that society, because I think that's the main point here, right? Is that mm -hmm. we might look at them and be like, oh, but they're just clay people. Materially, they're not that valuable. But they are valuable because they are essential tools. They provide services. They do all kinds of amazing things. So they have that sense of value to the people of Ankh-Morpork that we wouldn't necessarily think of because to us, they're just clay objects and we have all this other stuff that can do those things. So why are they 
necessarily valuable. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And what's the what's the cultural value of them? You mm, know, the, histor- the historical, archaeological con- context of them. Where mm-hmm. have they come from? What do they mean to even the past society? Mm-hmm. Lots of stuff like that that you'd you'd start to question. Yeah. No, definitely. And so I think, yeah, that's, and this is something, so this is a very, very short, by the way, preview of the kinds of things (laughs) we're going to be talking about. But we basically want to try to open your eyes about how concepts that might occur in fantasy relate to the real world and how we can then convert that into archaeology and how we see the past as well. So yeah, how would people in the past have valued objects that would likely have differed from how we'd value objects today? And yeah, that also relates to the first question that many archaeologists get, which is... (laughs) What would you say? Apart from dinosaurs. <laughs> is it ritual? <laughs> that as well. <laughs> I don't know. If you're digging, if you're digging in the ground and someone comes up to you, what's usually the first thing they ask you? Oh, what have you found? Is it treasure? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. That's pretty much always the first question you get asked as an archaeologist digging in the ground is, oh, found any treasure yet? And this is, uh, you always want to stand up and give them a lecture on <laughs> the value of yeah. objects. I actually have a really good answer to this. So a guy I used to work with, lots of people would come up to us and ask us, what's the best thing you've ever found? Have you found gold? Um, and one of his answers was basically that he'd found a hoard of pots and pans. Oh, <laughs> that does <laughs> sound they, cool though. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, they're from the 1950s. There was just a lot of them and I just really enjoyed it. <laughs> And they were like, okay. And you could see their faces like, oh, that's really not what I expected you to see. And then he was like, and I found a till once. There was nothing in there, but there was a till. <laughs> and he I mean, was that's just, a really cool excavation. I, it's really cool. It, it turns out it was like one of the local like youths or something. Uh, <laughs> Had like nicked a till and buried it in the same area. But like... <laughs> That was, and that was his answer. And everyone's faces was just like, what? Like, what? <laughs> but that's yeah. the thing, right? Indeed. I think most of archaeology focuses on everyday objects or yeah. even rubbish, like middens, which are one of the most excavated items, one would argue, or like features that one, we excavate is literally a prehistoric rubbish pit. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's what we love. We love the rubbish. Yeah. There's a whole like concept even like about garbology and stuff like yes. that. And like yeah. yeah, about looking at people's rubbish and that's what archaeologists do. We do look at people's waste essentially. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't have archaeology if people humans weren't hoarders like us, Tilly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then just discarded stuff later on. Like Future that. archaeologists will be so grateful that we exist. So <laughs> grateful. Like all They'll my like, stamps. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. oh, this can tell us so much. Oh my god, she's the not hoard. a single one. <laughs> the Ashley hoard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But like, yeah, stuff like that. And I think people's concept of treasure and value is so different from what an archaeologist's concept of treasure and value is. Yeah. Like for me, my, well, my the best thing I've ever found or the most important thing that I've ever found was a Iron Age village. Like I loved that. There wasn't any treasure. Just any casually gold. putting that out there. Do you? <laughs> yeah, by the way, <laughs> I found a whole village. <laughs> That's very um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's and it, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. The, the best thing we found was probably like a quernstone and there was a cremation. Yeah. And and that was it. You know, that was like, yes. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. Like all this, all this stuff oh. <laughs> was, to everyone else is just a lump of rocks and, yeah. and some kind of negative features and people don't really like yeah. that kind of stuff. But then you think about what was going on there and you build up that world in your mind. The world and you building. Think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You think, mm-hmm. oh, my God. 
this yeah. is amazing <laughs> and you know you, sometimes yeah, when we exactly. were on site we would we would think of names for people like oh susan lived here and judith lived there <laughs> susan had a really big roundhouse and judith did not like that she had a really big roundhouse or something like that you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 no but that's and indeed that's the whole point right telling the story so yeah. That's basically what we're going to be doing. We're going to be telling the stories, the fantasy stories, but through the eyes of two very geeky archaeologists. (laughs) So on that note, that's about it, I think, for this first introductory episode of Am I Trial? We hope that you enjoyed uh, this first little quest into the unknown. They will get deeper as the series goes on. If, by the way, there's any suggestions that people have for an episode that they've gotten from a fantasy book, or maybe you have an archaeological concept, a theory or method, for example, that you don't understand that maybe we can help to explain through fantasy, or maybe there's something in a book you've read that you want to find out from an archaeological perspective, just get in contact. Um, you can email us, andmytrowel at gmail.com, or you can access us through social media, and my trowel on Instagram. All contact info can be found in the show notes, as well as references and further reading for the points that we've discussed today. Also, Ash, I really hope you were paying attention to all my references with the Terry Pratchett universe today, because it might come in useful for your first quest in the next episode. Oh, let me just grab my scroll. I'll make some notes. Excellent. Well, see you soon. Bye. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.